Okay, we're, we're about to get started. Now, there's somebody's going to come turn these things on. I think they do it remotely. Oh, okay. Are, are our mics that all set? Good to me. Oh. <laughs> Thank you all. I am Amon Bathija with the Texas Tribune. This is the third of five panels on our transportation track, all of which will be in this room. Uh, some quick housekeeping. Lunch will be held on the main mall starting at 12.15. The day will conclude with a reception at the AT&T Center at 5.30. And for those who want it, there are shuttles available to provide transport between all of our venues. And now for our special guests. Tryon Lewis was appointed chair of the Texas Transportation Commission in February by Governor Greg Abbott. Previously, he represented District 81 in the Texas House from 2008 to 2015 and served a stint as chairman of the House Judiciary and Civil Jurisprudence Committee. From 1985 to 2006, he was a state district judge. He is currently a partner at, I'm going to try to get this right, Atkins, Hallman, Jones, Peacock, Lewis, and Lyon. That's correct. <laughs> in Odessa, where he focuses on civil litigation and defense of public entities and their employees. He is also a past chairman of the Ector County Republican Party, uh, Chairman Lewis, thank you for being here. Well, it's great it. to be here, Amon. Thank you. And thank you, everyone who's here. Thank you for being here. Uh, so you've been at this position now for uh, just a few months. Uh, yes. You, you were a House member. Uh, your term ended in January. About a month right. later, you were appointed to the commission. Uh, can you yes. talk a little bit about how that came about? Well, I can. You know, tr um, it was odd because I had always said I was going to run for three terms. And if I, the public elected me, I'd serve three terms. And then that was it, so I was sort of self-term limited out. And uh, I had this idea somehow that Trudy and I, my wife and I, would be, I don't know, going to Grand Canyon finally and stuff like that. And um, I had not applied uh, for the uh, Texas Transportation Commission. It was not, you know, something that um, I had on my radar. I Really, it was, I was probably going to go back to being a visiting judge and that sort of thing. And... Um, but the governor's office, I think, had an interest in having an independent view of the Transportation Commission and, and of the Department of Transportation. And um, we talked about my applying, and I applied, and I was, uh, uh, had the great fortune, along with uh, Commissioner Bruce Bug, to be uh, selected. And it's, we have had such an interesting time, haven't we, Bruce? <laughs> it has been incredibly, uh, uh, just a very interesting interesting thing to do. So I, I appreciate very much the, the governor having appointed me, and even more appreciate his appointing Bruce, because that's been, we've been a great team, along with the other commissioners. You, you've gone from helping set transportation policy to having to implement it. I'm wondering how that perspective is impacting your work now. Are you seeing Texas in a different way than you did when you were a lawmaker? You know, I probably appreciate it even more. Mm -hmm. You know, typically as a legislator, you see things that go wrong or things that you aren't happy with or you see potholes or, or you see a place that they're, you know, by gosh, we ought to have an overpass and there's not one. It's all that. It's all sort of things that oftentimes are, are critical things. And, and you see nice people, but you don't get the big picture. One thing about walking into the headquarters building uh, over here, the Greer building on 11th Street, or walking into the district offices, district engineer's offices, is it is it just makes you feel better about Texas. It makes you feel better about where we are and who's who's out there working. Um, very bright people who work really hard. I remember the first first day I walked in the Greer building, 
And it was, you know, 7.30, and I thought, well, I'll get there early. And I was pr probably about the last person in the office, you know. Everybody's like, good afternoon, Chairman. You know, I was like, wait a minute, it's 7.30 in the morning. But it's that, <laughs> people work that hard, and they are very dedicated. So it's, it's been uplifting, and very, very much in the way of uplifting. Are there things you're hoping, maybe that you've already changed in the agency, or are hoping to see improved dramatically in the near future? I think, you know, there's a, a very good basis in the Texas Department of uh, Transportation. Uh, it's a wonderful group of people, but it's like anything else. If you don't get better every day, Amon, mm. you're, 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 losing, you're losing steam. So, so even though it's good, that doesn't mean it can't be better, and we, and we are working very hard. Everyone on the commission, everyone in the administration is working very hard to make it better. One thing that I see, and again, this is Tryon Lewis, I'm, I'm one of five commissioners, but one thing that I, I think that we really need to work on uh, is to make sure we have the organizational structure, that we've got the right people in the right places. Uh, there will be before, before you, before the people of Texas, uh, Constitutional Amendment, Proposition 7 which if authorized would result in between two and a half and three billion dollars more per year coming into the Department of Transportation so that we can work on choke points and all the gridlock that we see on our highways and areas that could be made more safe uh, in, in rural areas, mm -hmm. shoulders and, and, and widening and those rumble strips that tell you when you're starting to wander off the road, things like that. It will be wonderful to have that. But to efficiently use that money, Amon, we've got to have our structure so that we've got our, our employees, our, we sometimes call FTEs just because of the thing of the funding of the employment positions, in the right place to do the productive work. Mm -hmm. So one thing that, that I think that we'll all be looking on is um, being much more efficient, uh, continuing to be more and more efficient so that we can get the work done, identify the correct work to be done, the priority work to be done, and, and have the employees to get that work done in an efficient manner. So it's only been a couple of weeks that uh, General Joe Weber announced mm -hmm. he's leaving at the end of the year. What is going on at the leadership at the agency? Is this, was this just Governor Abbott kind of saying he wants his own person in there? Or? Well, you know, General Weber, I have tremendous respect for General Weber. Uh, he, and he has done uh, many wonderful things uh, at TxDOT. He and his staff have, like I said, when I was talking about, you know, we have a good basis to go from, um, he and his staff have done a very good job of giving us a good base to, uh, to work from. But I remember when, when Bruce and I were first there, before we were con confirmed, our appointments were confirmed by the Senate, uh, first meeting we were there, there were two or three key staff members who were there because, you know, they were, they were leaving. They were, you know, had, uh, were leaving the agency and they were being recognized. Every two or three months, there's, you know, there's, uh, that happens. Uh, it's a big agency. Uh, and like every large state agency that's out there, there's turnover. You know, people are there and they mm -hmm. leave to go on to other opportunities. And we, you absolutely appreciate them while you're there, and you understand that there, none of us, none of us are going to be there uh, forever, and you go on. So, um, 
Really what that results in is that we are in the midst of a search system, and um, uh, we, are, uh, we will be looking to fill that position. General Weber is, is not gone, and he is still very much, if you know General Weber, you know he's still very much there and in command and will be there until uh, December 31st when he hands the keys over to, to somebody else. And, um, and so he's there to help us through this, uh, through this passageway to the next executive director. I think the overall thing is that, you know, people are there, people leave, new people come in. The great thing is we've got a deep bench both inside the department and outside the department of people who really know transportation in this state and other states, we're going to have an open process in mind. Mm -hmm. It's not, this is no prearranged deal and somebody's got an insight or anything like that. This is an absolutely open system, open search. We're going to evaluate the qualifications and see who's a good fit. And I think we're, uh, you know, we'll be looking for someone who can really uh, continue on the work that's already been done to move the Department of Transportation in the way that it ought to be. And I think we need to be looking long-term, not short-term. There's always one thing that I was always worried about in the legislature is that it's all wonderful people, but you always look to the next election. What we want to do is not just kind of look at the next session or anything like that, but have a long view. Have a five-year plan and have the, the personnel there, executive director and others, who will have to be focused on a plan and to get us there. Mm -hmm. And that's going to work best for that department. It's going to work best for the people of Texas. Weber uh, isn't an engineer. His predecessor wasn't. But before that, Yeah, Phil Wilson was the right, predecessor. Right. Uh, and before that, Texas had a tradition of being run by engineers. Uh, yeah. Is that something you're thinking about in terms of the next person? I just knocked over both these waters. I hope the caps are on, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> At one time, uh, it was a statutory requirement that the executive director of TxDOT be an engineer. Hmm. And, and, but that was changed, I don't know, sometime probably right after 2000, 2005. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. But it, that, was, uh, that was altered. So there's not a requirement that it be an engineer. Uh, it used to typically be you know, a, a district engineer. The statutory requirement is that the executive director, and the executive director incidentally, is appointed, uh, hired by the commission, uh, that, the, that the director, executive director of TxDOT be someone who is, has expertise in transportation planning and development, and expertise, and expertise in organizational matters. So I don't think that it has to be uh, an engineer, mm -hmm. Amon, but I, I think we'll, I know that in my case, I'll be you know, looking very closely at the qualifications of those who apply to make sure they meet that statutory test. And, um, and I think that we will, you know, we'll, we'll find that, uh, that, that lady or that gentleman and, and uh, we'll really be ready to go forward. Prop, so you mentioned Proposition 7 earlier. Yeah. Uh, early voting smile, big smile. Not <laughs> so uh, early voting starts on that this week. Uh, it's going to put a significant amount of money into TxDOT uh, into the future if it passes. You know, since I've been covering transportation, I've been hearing that TxDOT needs more money just to kind of maintain current congestion. Uh -huh. Is this enough? Or, or can I finally stop writing that line? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, pretty much. Uh, mm. uh, pretty much for now. I mean, things can change in the future, but I think, I think for now you can stop writing that line. <laughs> um, 
you know, I always say, well, how much is enough? And when you talk about transportation, uh, you know, you talk about um, uh, an interchange or something costing a quarter of a billion dollars. Obviously, money can, can go pretty fast. But, but where we are in realistic terms is that we've had many studies with regard to Texas transportation needs. Uh, Texas uh, Transportation Institute at uh, Texas A&M campus and there, uh, the 2010 uh, commission, a very high level commission uh, that was uh, appointed statewide leaders, pretty much all came to the same conclusion that for us to have a reasonably progressive transportation system to reasonably ad address our current needs, it's going to require between four and five billion dollars in addition to what we already have. And, and this would have been prior to, to Prop 1. So as far as an identified need, identified amount of money, I think that's what we reasonably should look at. And with, um, with the passage of Prop 1, um, by the voters at the last election, and a couple of other matters that Governor Abbott's uh, campaigned on, and with the help of the legislative leadership, Speaker Strauss, Lieutenant Governor Patrick, uh, certainly I would say, it, and uh, great mention to Senator Nichols, the Chair of uh, Transportation in the Senate, and Joe Pickett, Chair of Transportation in the House, and all those members, they passed two things that would be really game changers for transportation in Texas. One is the end of diversions. We had money going into the highway fund, but because the legislature was short of money, they would fund state agencies, mainly uh, Department of Public Safety, out of that money. So the money was coming from the fuel tax going into fund six, but instead of then going out to the highways for highway construction and development, the money would, be, would go to fund a state agency. And that was, you know, when money was tight, that was just something that, that was done. One thing that the legislature, with Governor Abbott's leadership, did this last session is they ended that practice. And they passed a statute saying that that cannot be done. So it's not just in appropriations, which, you know, ends in a, after the end of the biennium. It's actually in statute. We'll be there unless until someday that statute were changed. That the money that's going into the highway fund is also going into the highways. And that's about 600 to 650 million dollars a year, a year. So that's, that's a pretty significant thing. Even more is Proposition 7 on the ballot uh, November 3rd. And what Proposition 7 does, it's, it's, a, it's a true game changer. Uh, it allocates the increase in revenues from sales tax and motor vehicle sales and leasing tax, which is a separate tax. It allocates the increases over sort of the present threshold as money grows to transportation. In, in, in the instance of sales tax, once I think it's $28 million is the present threshold. As that grows ahead of that, the next $2.5 billion will be dedicated to our highways. In the instance of automobile tax, sales and rental tax, I think the present threshold is around $5 billion, and one-third of the increase of that then will go into uh, our high, use for our highways. 
altogether that should be, and that it's scaled in, the sales tax would come in, if, if this is passed and subject to the public's approval, the sales tax would come in, I think, 2018, and, and the automobile uh, funds would start coming in in 2020. So those are huge game changers for transportation. And, you know, your, your question is, well, you know, does that, does that get us there? That gets us, along with Prop 1 money, that's the mineral uh, severance tax money that was going into the what we call rainy day or economic stabilization fund. Along with that, that pretty much puts us at the amount that these study groups came up with that we need for transportation. I'll tell you, it, in practical terms, what else it does, Iman? There is a ramp up time that to be efficient, to be ready to do projects, it takes time, and that would be true in anything. In transportation, it's particularly true because it's very complex. There are lots of stakeholders that you deal with, and there's a lot of work to be done to get the agency ready, mm -hmm. personnel-wise and otherwise, to get these projects done, the projects identified and down, and, uh, and, and uh, in, under construction, the bulldozers moving. Realistically, for our time frame, and I'm talking about five years, I mentioned, I, I really am trying to focus myself on a five-year uh, uh, future vision here. To, for that time period, I think for us to efficiently process that amount of money, it's going to be a lot of hard work by our staff and by our commissioners and uh, consultants, the contractors out there, to get that done efficiently. So it's not like everybody, somebody said, well, gee, if you had $10 billion more, what would you do? Well, you'd work on this first amount. And then, and then when you get to the next threshold, you get to it. But it's, it's going to take a lot of work in this five-year period to get that done. So I think what I would consider our, our present needs and our present ability to meet them for the department, I, I, think, I think that Prop 1 already approved, end of diversions, and, uh, and Prop 7, I think that we can efficiently do what the public wants, what the governor and the leadership of the legislature have set out for us to do, we can get it done. Well, and you say getting it done, that benchmark of, you know, about four to five billion dollars was to maintain current congestion. Mm -hmm. So, it, it, and I know the state is growing very fast, but right. does, is that kind of really the best that Texas can hope for right now under the current you know, funding constraints and political environment that we can just keep traffic from getting worse for the near future, particularly given how fast we're growing? Or is it, I don't know, next session, could there be serious talk about doing things to actually improve congestion? You know, the way I look at it, I think the governor has set out with a lot of thought, a lot of work, a plan. And carrying out that plan correctly is the main thing. And that's what I think we ought to focus on right now. And, and he and the legislature and their leadership have really worked hard to say, okay, let's get this done. And this is going to put Texas, you know, this is going to address our immediate needs. And there can be needs in the future, and, and I'm, I'm not, you know, uh, who knows. But I know this, it's going to be very hard work and all we can do to get this part done. And I think we need to do, if do we do this right, We'll see what else, you know, we can do. And if other money comes our way, that's up to the governor. Uh, and when I say our, obviously I mean not only commission, but a Texas Department of Transportation. 
any other work, any other things that the legislature and, and the governor are going to be looking at will be responsive. But this is going to be a real load. I'm, you know, if you have a certain number of people, a certain number of engineers, a certain number of contractors out there, one cannot automatically double the work that's already being mm -hmm. done. You just can't. What, you, what we will do, this will, this will set a vision for us, and this is a great vision that the government and legislature come up with. This, this, will, this will set something that I think we can tackle, and we're going to be out there working every day to get ready to do it so there's no waste, so the right projects are identified, and the money is well spent. I would like to say something, Commissioner Bruce Bug is here. Um, each commissioner is working very hard at a subject matter along with the staff on, on a particular subject matter. I've mentioned that the congestion and choke points is one of the significant areas that, that this money is going to be going for. Mm -hmm. uh, commissioner Bug is, I'm afraid, that Commissioner Bug is going to lose his residence in Bayer County and have to establish residence uh, here in Travis County because he's here all the time. And he's going to be going throughout, and he's already got the set to go throughout Texas. He's working on congestion areas. He's working on the, the process along with staff, and I want to emphasize that because he certainly does. But he's the liaison from the commission to work on congestion and uh, identify the choke points, and the choke points we can do something about, the choke points we can best maximize the you know the use of, of the money to go to go forward. So I, I do want to, to mention that and to thank here Bruce for his work. Other work that's being done, uh, I mentioned safety. You have to be inside the family, and it is a family, of the Department of Transportation to understand the emphasis on safety. You know, in our normal lives, safety is something, yeah, we want to be safe, but it's not something we focus on. Every day they focus on it. It's huge. Uh, our vice uh, chairman, Jeff Mosley of Houston, is working on safety issues and how can we make our roads even safer and better and our practices even better. Uh, Commissioner Jeff Austin is working on our federal uh, relations mm -hmm. with federal government, and we might mention at some point, sure. Uh, we, there's a, a large component of our spending uh, comes from the federal, federal government, from federal fuel tax. And he's working along with uh, staff uh, on, on that area. Um, Commissioner Vandergriff has a huge load. Uh, the legislature wants us, through what's called House Bill 20, to be much more transparent about which projects we're picking and why about making sure we, we have performance measures and metrics so we have whatever we're doing, we can have a measure to say, is that right? Is that working? If it's not working, how do we get to what does work? And on every project we select, we say, well, is this, you know, how does this grade out against other projects? One, one thing we don't want to do, and this is easy to happen, is that if you look at projects in isolation, they all look great. If you, know, if you just walk in a room and say, well, would it be good to do this to that project or have this thing done? Sure, they all look good. And so the money might flow to projects and it's fine, but how is it compared to other projects? And that's really what you have to do. If you're going to be efficient, you can't take projects in isolation. You've got to take a series of them and say, okay, 
they all are, you know, they're all winners. Uh, they're all the most beautiful baby anybody ever saw, but we got to pick one. How are we going to decide uh, what the criteria are? Well, and, and under, that's what Commissioner Vandergriff is working on. And so under HB 20, that you are going to have to be more transparent about basically making a list. And it kind of, it's, it seems like a tough job because you have to say this community's congestion is more important or a bigger problem than that community's congestion right now or is a bigger priority. Uh, do, I guess I wonder, do you feel like that's the best way to go for such a complicated process like this? That's why we commissioners make the big bucks. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, to, make, to make those decisions. The, that's always difficult. And, you know, but I guess the, doing the, it more publicly the, the, now. The trick to it, Amon, is to be fair. Mm -hmm. The trick is to be fair. And numbers don't tell everything. This is a big state. There are all sorts of goals. And it's not like, well, if you grade every project and then you just, you know, you do it by a computer and, okay, the computer says this one has this grade and this one has this grade and this one has that grade. Therefore, that's where, that's where the money goes. That's information for us. And that's information we want the public to have. So if we are really varying from that and, and we're picking very low, you know, rated projects, the public can know it and they can say why. And it's open and it's transparent. That's, that's really what, what we want. But, you know, we're not robots. This is not going to be done just by a computer. It's going to be done in the open. But then what we've got to do is figure, you know, this is a big state and there are needs all over this state. And everything can't be by a computer. Um, it might be that there might be um, a project uh, somewhere along the border and it might not grade out as high as a as a, a project, I'm from Odessa, so I'll say Odessa. It might not grade out as high. But you know, it might be that because of what we're anticipating as traffic across that area and the economic you know, benefit that's going to flow in from that, that even though it might not grade out as high, it might be needed more. And so one thing that we will do as commissioners is we will take the information available, including this project selection criteria, Everybody will have it, we'll look at it, and we'll prioritize it. And again, the trick is we don't do it because we're regional. We're not picking because we're regional or politic. We're picking them on priorities and because it's the fair thing to do. So about a decade ago, TxDOT was borrowing a lot of money and leveraging it to make it so they could, you know, make it go a lot further. It's often through toll projects. Yes. Prop 1 passed last year, Prop 7, assuming it passes in a few weeks. All of that money has the rule on there, you can't use it for toll roads. Correct. So is, is it fair to say this money just isn't going to go as far as money at Texas has gone in the past? And is it, do you think that's the right policy for TxDOT to, because it seems like under these rules you're going to have to pull back from toll projects quite a bit. Well, the funding will be, will be different, but I think that you know, I think any discussion on, on tolls, you'd probably begin with Governor Abbott's, what he campaigned on and the commitment that he made to the people of Texas that the people of Texas, I, I think, largely support. And that was that we need to have, and, and I'd like to, having said that, explain that and then, mm -hmm. and then, go, and then go back to sort of the, some of the reasoning because it, it goes into what should we tell, what not, and where should the money go? 
So Governor Abbott's commitment was the experts have identified, and, and what we've identified is four to five billion dollars in extra money that we need every year for Texas Department of Transportation to be able to keep up with our transportation needs. And he made this commitment that we would get, first of all, an adequate amount of money. We'd get, we'd get money that would add up to that amount of money uh, to fill that need. We'd do it with broad-based sources of funding. We'd do it with broad-based sources of funding that were stable sources. So they're not always just skyrocketing, going up and down. And we'd do it with dedicated funds. So it's not funds that might be there one biennium, but then they're gone and you don't have them. Because with transportation, you need long-range committed funding. You need dedicated funds to get things done because these projects are big money and they take a long time. So if you're going to do them right, you've got to have dedicated funding. That was, his, that was his commitment. And his commitment was that we will do that, those sources, uh, and uh, uh, that would do that funding, would end diversions. That was also part of his pledge. would end these diversions and make sure that the highway fund money goes into highways and that it wouldn't go into tolling. Well, why, 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 why would he say that? I think, that? I think that commitment was made because we're having, um, let, me, let me go back to the history of some of this. Everybody here can see how old I am. So when I say that in my lifetime, our system basically was not a toll system. We had a system based on that our highways would be built and maintained with just what Governor Abbott said, let's get back to. Enough money, broad-based source of funding, stable source of funding, dedicated funding, which always had been pretty much the Fund 6, the Highway Fund, which was mostly fuel tax dollars. And that's the way it was done. If there was tolling, it was really the exception. And it was those instances in which you had a very big market. I mean, you had tons of traffic, lots of traffic, lots of traffic, lots of cars. A very, so a very great need. It was a very expensive project and one that simply could not be funded. It was so expensive and the need for speed to get it done because of the demand was so great you couldn't do it within the traditional system. So that was the exception. And that was the traditional way. About, what, 2000? I think the Constitutional Amendment that allowed more tolling was around 2001, in that time frame. Mm -hmm. That philosophy changed. And the philosophy changed to, well, we need, and in, in, in the past way, you know, if there was a need for incremental money, then more dedicated funding from a stable source would be identified and be put in there. It might be including, you know, raising uh, the fuel tax, for instance. But a philosophy changed around 2000. And that philosophy was, look, if we need incremental money, let's don't do those, you know, tax enhancements or things like that or dedicate other funds. Let's go to tolling, which is a user pay type system. And so it began to be the dominant philosophy that if roads are going to be built, we're going to tow them. And it's not just the exceptional road. It's not just that high demand, high cost tow road. It's, it's lots of roads. And it's, it's uh, even things you would never think otherwise to tow. And even if it wouldn't pay for that, maybe it'd pay for the maintenance. So that became the philosophy. Mm -hmm. And to the extent that these local communities who didn't really want tolling or didn't think that their project was appropriate for tolling 
would be, you know, it'd be like, we can put our money in, but it's got to be a toll, that is, say, the commission, but it's got to be a toll project. Because that was the source of money, that was the philosophy. I think that that has resulted, every, everything in politics comes and goes, and I think that that has resulted in a general feeling by the public that we are perhaps overemphasizing tolling. And so that, I think, is the, is the reason that we have this philosophy. Look, if we're going to go back to broad-based funding, we're going to identify broad-based funding and dedicate it. That's a move away. It's really an addition. It doesn't do away with tolling, but it means that those dollars aren't going to go to tolls. So we'll have some. It's just going, you know, back to the future. It's going back to the way it was traditionally done. So you'll still have some tolling where it's appropriate, but the department won't be uh, required that everything is told. We'll have some money to go back to the traditional way of doing things with Prop 1, end of diversions, and if the public approves uh, Proposition 7 in November. You just mentioned uh, tolling when it's appropriate. What, in your mind, for TxDOT going forward is appropriate conditions to say that should be a toll project? You know, it, it is, it's, it is, that's a complex area that we are still working on, quite mm -hmm. frankly. Um, that is a policy decision that, that the governor and his staff, uh, I think, you know, we will be working on as we go forward. Because so it's, it's complex. There's one thing, well, it's this, it is, you've got toll roads, and, you know, uh, that the whole road is tolled. You've got managed lanes that you might have a, 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 a non-pay, non-tolled road, but you've got a lane in there that's, uh, that's towed. Uh, so you, you have different dynamics, you, or you might have several toll lanes and several not. So there, there are a lot of dynamics to, to tolling, and I think that that is a work in progress. That is something that is being worked on both inside the department and outside. Uh, right now, all I can say is that we have significant funds, Prop 1, in the diversions because of the governor's views of, of, of that, that that money should be similar to Prop 1, and Prop 7, if it passes, that will not be available for tolls. So a lot of our, our new construction is not going to be, uh, not going to, not going to be associated with, uh, with tolls. Mm -hmm. And the degree to which um, tolling is uh, uh, available otherwise, a lot of it's going to depend on local communities. And again, again, we don't have you know, the policies, and I can't say, well, this is the policy, and here we are. We're working on it. We're still you know, fairly new in our first year. But a lot of it will depend on local communities, what the desires of local communities are, and, uh, and, and the, uh, the needs, of that, uh, needs of that community. And, and is it um, probably more towards, is it sort of something that traditionally would be looked at, and what are the sources of funding? Uh, our planning organizations in these local metropolitan areas have a, an, an influence. They'll have a say in what's told and what's not told. But I think for, for TxDOT, this is going to give us a lot more flexibility to go back to the more the traditional, traditional route. Uh, State Highway 130, it's a toll road that's probably gotten more attention than any other toll road in the state, maybe the country for a while. And the legislature this past session put some money towards basically subsidizing the tolls for trucks. 
to go on that road to get them off 35. Uh, a, Tex a Texas Transportation Institute study a few months ago suggested that trucks may never be willing to use that road if they have to pay the full toll. And so I wonder what your thoughts are on whether this is some, a situation that should just continue for the foreseeable future, or is, does something need to change in terms of that toll road and it, its relationship with 35? You know, the commission hasn't made any decision on that, and the legislature hasn't made any decision on that. Every, everyone's looking at it. Uh, Austin, I guess, or most people here from Austin, everybody's from Austin, raise your hand. Okay, good. Well, everybody here knows more about Austin traffic than, I'll, than I will ever know uh, and uh, has uh, many frustrations. Um, Austin is a key point. Uh, this whole area, Travis County, this whole area is a key point in our transportation network, not only because of Texas traffic, because of international traffic. Uh, a component of that, of course, is, uh, is SH-130. Is SH as I'm sure as, uh, uh, you know, the northern part of that, as, as this area continues to, to grow, and it's one of the most dynamic growth areas probably in the country, you know, we're going to see more growth, more use of 130. Uh, it is true that commercial truck traffic, uh, those truck drivers, those companies tend to be very reluctant to pay tolls. And, and they'd, you know, they'd rather be, you know, uh, uh, take longer and heavier traffic usually than, than to go faster and, and pay a toll. It's just, I guess, something to the dynamic of the trucking industry. But all of these are, are things to consider. There's no one has a decision or a, um, knows the exact end game uh, for 130, whether it will, uh, whether the tolls will ever be um, limited for trucking on any semi-permanent basis or not. We don't know. We'll, we'll, what we'll have to do is constantly look at it and, and look what's the, our best sort of uh, profit point. But th those, uh, that, you know, that project was obviously built with borrowed money, mm -hmm. and that's got to be paid off. And so it's going to be paid off through tolls, and, uh, and, the, and the project will have to have generate enough money to do that. Uh, and, and, and we'll continue to work on the infrastructure uh, on all of our major uh, thoroughfares, including what uh, Commissioner Bug uh, is is uh, doing his hard work, uh, certainly will uh, affect areas uh, transportation in this area. This is my last toll-related question. I promise. Um, uh, TxDOT's contract with Xerox for toll tag uh, that's had some problems in the past couple of years. Concerns about inaccurate bill billing, late bills, uh, drivers saying that they didn't go on a toll road and then they're getting billed and late charges. I know that that's been a focus of TxDOT for a while now, fixing that contract and how it runs. Where are we on that? Do you, do you feel comfortable with how that's being handled now? I think that the uh, administration, the top the staff uh, at TxDOT has really worked hard to make that work. There were, you know, and this is what happens, I guess. I know so little about, about computers. I, I was asked, Earlier, well, you know, we're going to do some tweet things out here. Not what? <laughs> you know, I have never looked at a tweet, but uh, <laughs> probably the last person in Texas uh, who can say that. So, so when we get to computer things like we do on Text Tag, it amazes me we could do it at all. 
but it's, it is complex. And there was a changeover there. Mm -hmm. And the problems really came through that change order. And you, you've got software, and it's got to mesh, and, and you have different people bill for, for different things. What I was really impressed with uh, when I was there, because that, that really happened right after Bruce and I got over there, is when all of that, uh, uh, that, it, that um, those complaints started to come out. What I was impressed at is I know there'll be complaints. Anytime you've got a computer changeover, anytime you've got software that's new, there are going to be problems. And you've, and you've got, what, tens of thousands of transactions maybe every day mm -hmm. to process. It's not unusual there'll be problems. What I was so impressed with is the attitude of the leadership at TechDot and the people at TechDot. I got up there and they were, because people were having problems, they were hand looking at every problem. And they, and they were there late. I mean, they were, you know, their family, they had missed dinner, they had, you know, they, they were there, it was midnight. And because people were having problems and people, the public, the consumers were having issues, they were there. And that's, you know, that's what I want. That's what I want to see. I want to see people, because there are always going to be problems. I want to see people who care that there are problems. I want to see, uh, you know, uh, 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 very top-level people who are there, and, and they are concerned that the people, the, our customers, are having problems to get it fixed and get it done right. And they were really working hard. We are much better about it now. And I, I think some of those problems have gone away. I'll tell you one problem that was interesting to me is that a lot of people don't understand that some of these tolls are TxDOT toll projects, and some of them are not. Some of them, are, I guess, are what Central Texas RMA, is that what it is? Some of them are other entities. So they'll say, hey, wait a minute. I had, you know, I, I paid my, uh, I got this bill from, from, uh, from you guys, and I paid it, and you're still billing me. What they don't realize, it was another bill from somebody else. Maybe on the same trip or something, they, they went through two of them. And that happens a lot. So some of them, I, I would say we're working hard to address the ones uh, organizationally and otherwise to be really good, uh, good with our customers. And, uh, and then some, uh, sometimes it's not us. So, so we're going to open it up to questions in just a moment. But I wanted to ask you about, we had a panel this morning on high-speed rail. Uh, and Texas Central's project to connect Houston and Dallas. There's also high-speed rail studies and, you know, efforts in the work in other parts of the state. Do you see TxDOT playing a bigger role in that area in the near future? I, I, you know, I, I don't. I think TxDOT's, TxDOT's role in, in rail period, any kind of rail, including, you know, typical normal passenger rail is, is small. In, in freight, it's practically non-existent. Uh, and in high-speed rail, it's a, it's a very small part of it. Our, you know, what, what TxDOT has been involved in, there was a federal grant that came down, and like most federal things involving transportation, we would be the agency that they would talk to on the Dallas-Fort Worth on environmental, um, that we had a role in that grant as a recipient of that grant to do studies on, on environmental. We have an advisory, a very high-level group of, of, uh, of people 
an advisory uh, council that was appointed on the Dallas-Fort Worth segment mm -hmm. to review it. Obviously, any transportation sooner or later, if it's done, could affect TxDOT. But as far as being, uh, 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 and that's under Bill Meadows. I don't know if he was. I'm sure. I'm, I, I'm sure he was. He was here. He's previously on the commission. He's the chair of that uh, advisory council or commission. Um, but as far as being TxDOT projects or TxDOT funds going into any high-speed rail, uh, guidance by us, I don't really see that, as, as you said, in, in, the, in the future I would be looking at, the near future. Is that just because the legislature, that's not what they want out of TxDOT currently? Well, yeah, well, mostly our funds. I mean, you look at TxDOT's traditional mission. I mean, it, it used to be the Department of Highways. Mm -hmm. And almost all of our funds are, they're highway funds. Uh, we have a very limited amount of money that would be used for anything other than highway funds. Uh, for public transit, you know, I'm just thinking uh, probably their Texas Mobility Fund might could be used, but it's, it's, I think, pretty much borrowed to its limit. I don't think that it would be available. So as, a, as just a mission, mm -hmm. and the, the funding that we have, our mission, it, passenger rail in general, and including uh, high-speed rail, is not something that you would typically see, at least for the present. Um, and that, don't want to go too far afield from your question, but it just is of interest that we also get into other areas. There is a rail freight that's huge for Texas. There is maritime. Our ports are busting at the seams. Um, uh, aviation is huge. We have very small departments dealing with each of those areas. We really don't have funding for that. Uh, or We have very, very limited funding for that, so we have a limited role. But, but Texas, uh, Governor Abbott, who I think has great vision, and we have great leadership in our legislature, that's probably something that they're going to be looking at, whether it's through TxDOT or otherwise, is to look at Texas freight, mm -hmm. multimodal freight. The economic impact of that is almost unfathomable. And we're positioned, we got the ports. Mexico is predicted in about 20 years to have the, the uh, gross domestic product of Ger that Germany has. I mean, you talk about growth, and we're right there plus our own. I mean, we're getting manufacturers every day. We're attractive to, to manufacturers. We have, we're uh, getting back to where we're sort of the, the OPEC of oil again. Uh, out in my area, we've got about 30 billion barrels of oil that's going to be, uh, that we know is there available to be produced. It's huge. And all of that is freight, you know. All of that is transported. And I think in the, as I'd say for the future, as we look to the future, uh, that's something I think the governor and the legislature probably be really keying on. I, I, uh, judge Ed Emmett, the county judge of Harris County, led a very high-level uh, committee, advisory committee on the freight mobility plan. He came up with a freight mobility plan to present to us, and it's very high-level mm -hmm. and very good. And I, I think we'll be looking at that in the future as well. well take some questions from the audience. Uh, First you. Thank you. Um, sorry. Um, 
I live in Dallas, and I'm very interested in the idea of tearing down I-345 on the east side of town and opening up development possibilities um, in that part of downtown. And I want to know, in your large, long-term philosophical thinking, um, are you rethinking the appropriateness of highways in our urban cores as we create more dense, walkable cities and encourage the use of public transportation? Tearing down this project has been getting a lot of attention <laughs> in Dallas. Oh, really? Uh, that was uh, okay. a campaign. And, and I, I'm sorry, I, you're, there were lights right behind you, and I, I, don't, have, I don't have dark glasses on, so I was kind of looking. I wasn't looking directly at you, but thank, thank, thank you for the question. You know, things, I guess as I was saying, things always change, and who knows uh, what the future holds, and um, uh, certainly someone who would stand before you and, and admit he's never seen a tweet. Um, <laughs> You think, well, what these old fogies. I think this. I think that for probably my time on the commission, my time involved in transportation, it will be more traditional. It will be more tra traditional delivery of projects. It will be making, uh, allowing, uh, constructing projects uh, that allow people in their vehicles you know, to, to get to work and to get home safely and efficiently uh, to get back to their families. So I think for this, this time period, it's going to be headed more towards a continuation of, of traditional modes of transportation and um, doing that delivery uh, the best we can do for the people of Texas and really dedicated to doing it. Okay, same, same thing. I don't have dark glasses on. I can see you, sort of. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> um, as you work with the legislature and the governor to address the challenges of um, transportation here, I'm sure you're looking at what other states are doing. Um, are there particular projects or methods of funding that you see as a possibility to implement here in Texas? I, I would say this. As far as implementation of funding, I, I think, as, as I have mentioned, I, th I think that we are at a place now that uh, with what Governor Abbott and the legislative leadership and the members of the legislature have done, and if the public approves Proposition 7, we will be at, a, at, at a, an area of funding that we're probably for our present needs. I, I think that the real focus is for the commission is going to be how can we uh, best, uh, best uh, allocate that money. Um, we are always looking at what other states are doing. With some great pride, I'll say that since I've been on the commission, I found out that other states are always looking at what TxDOT does. <laughs> that's, what, that's what you say. I mean, I've, I've talked to people uh, who are from other states' highway, highway uh, departments, and, um, and almost uniformly, uh, they'll, be, they'll be looking to Texas. But it's amazing how smart people are. And that's really what you see. I mean, there are smart people all over, and they come up with things you, who, you know, like who would ever come up with that idea? You, or you think, wouldn't every idea already be, have been come up with, you know, that people already know? But not so. And, and they are right now coming up with innovations. And some of them are from out of state, and, and it's, it's like, you know, how do you move traffic a little more efficiently? You're probably seeing some of them now, if any of you go to the, was Oak Hill Y? Or, or out north, there are 
they're diverting traffic for left turns before you get to an intersection. And uh, that's fairly new for us, but others, I think that actually came from a, a different state that figured out you could do that. Seems counterintuitive to me, but traffic's moving a lot faster. So I think the main thing for us is to don't be cocky. I do think other states do look at TxDOT for leadership, but, but everybody's got great ideas, and I, I think that we need to be open to them. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, hi, I, um, I live in the, uh, the Miller neighborhood uh, on the east side of town, and uh, there are dozens of driverless uh, vehicles scooting around. And oh, once, really? Once the novelty wears off, uh, they're, they're pretty amazing. Uh, it seems to me that's going to be here before we know it, mm -hmm. and um, it'll have impacts on congestion and ownership of cars, usage of cars. I wonder if, if there's a, a committee within DOT that, um, that's thinking about uh, five, year, five or ten years down the road when there are a lot of... Uh, on-demand autonomous uh, cars. You know there are. I'm so I'm so glad you you mentioned that uh, because it's amazing. You were talking about how smart people are and how people can figure out how to do things like that. Uh, we are are we do have people in the department and not just an ad hoc committee. There are innovative design and tech, innovative technology people that that do just that for a living. Keep up with all those. Not only. Um, sort of how the highways can be built and be innovative, but also keep up with that kind of technology that's coming. When I first heard about, what do they call it, autonomous vehicles? Yeah, autonomous vehicles, I think, is the technical word for it. I first heard that, I thought, well, that can't possibly work. Uh, how can they do that? But then you find out that the technology is there. It is being developed. Uh, uh, They're, you know, showing that it's safe. I think the, the biggest problem I know of so far in autonomous vehicles, it's not that that vehicle operating safely, it's how it reacts to unsafe conditions that, that are coming in. You know, we, we all have, well, you know, somebody runs a, a red light, do you have enough time to miss this car? Are you anticipating they'll break too so you can scoot by them or whatever? It's those kind of decisions. It's dealing with un, unexpected, unsafe situations created by some other car. Um, so I don't know the technology is directly there, but in response to your question, is TxDOT keeping up with this? The answer is yes. And we have people who are, who are looking at that all the way up, up and down and looking at other, other technological innovations. And um, the world is changing fast, and that's part of it. And, uh, and, and we'll be ready. I'm the old curmudgeon. You know, I saw a cartoon once. And it was an old man sitting in a club or something, you know, looking out the window. And he said, I've seen a thousand changes in my life, and I've been against every darn one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I feel like that guy. But when you're, when you're in the headquarters building, the Greer building, uh, and you're in the uh, different district engineer buildings out there, and you see all these bright engineers and software people and all this, and... and uh, everyone and they are keeping up with these things and they know them and and I think in transportation it's a new age it it is a I would just think it's a great time to be in the transportation industry it's a great time for just me to see it happen and see these people being able to make all these things happen and it's probably a great time to be a beneficiary as a consumer of that so thank you for bringing that up and just one follow-up there so would you say that in future highway projects when you have planners figuring out where 
to expand or, or build a new highway. Is that new technology something they're, they're starting to consider or about, you know, should we doing something different to prepare for that technology? I, th I think that it's, like I say, they're, they're aware of it and where appropriate. I, I know that they will want to be ready for it, uh, you know, as far as any remote recognition of things, how signage might be done, mm -hmm. uh, how, the, how the roads might be done. You know, it's not, I, I think, projects they're doing right now that uh, there's, there's probably not a specific difference that they would be doing, but they're aware of it, thinking of it, and, and they, are, they are using that technology. One place I didn't mention that that technology would help us, it's, it's like anything else, uh, software, computers tend to be very efficient, which I guess in, in now in uh, you know, the Pentagon they'll, in, in airplanes, and not just the Pentagon, but all sorts of aviation, they use a lot of it's, it's computers. It's a very efficient way to move things. And that's and um, one thing that a technology would do, it would allow probably more traffic uh, to use the same lanes, most maximize the efficiency. And uh, as far as I know, those computers don't ever use cell phones, and they're never texting uh, <laughs> while they're while they're driving those vehicles. So that's that's good. Safety is so important, and that's you know. So there are some safety aspects of that that. Humans, un unfortunately, me and others, you know, will text when we drive or drink when we're driving. I guess computers never get drunk, huh? So that's, um, so, so uh, that is, uh, it has some benefits for us as it develops. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time, but please join me in thanking Chairman Lewis here. Thank you. Thank you all for being here. You're very nice. Thank you. You've been great. Thank Appreciate you. you. Well, you're, you're so nice. Thank oh, you. Sure. Those are good questions. Thank you. I guess I have to give this back. <laughs>